So, good morning. Welcome again to Grace Life. I am Randy Arnold, one of the elders here at Grace Life. And it's, uh, it is great to be sharing with you this morning, and, and not just because it got me out of teaching children's church over there. Uh, <laughs> although it did, uh, Caleb and, uh, was gracious enough to switch with me uh, so I could preach today, so I'm scheduled for May. So, if you see me up here again in May, then you might get the idea I'm avoiding uh, children. Um, I love kids. Well, most kids. Um, no, I truly love kids. Uh, I, I see them as a little bundle of potential and kinetic energy. They're either bouncing off the wall or about to bounce off the wall. Uh, and I'm sure I was the same as a kid, so, so I love kids. Uh, <laughs> all right, <laughs> moving on. Uh, the other reason it, it is great to be up here is I wasn't sure I was going to make it. Uh, three weeks and a day, I'm still counting, I did come down with covid and it's been a bumpy ride, and I'm still on the ride. Uh, I want to thank everybody who reached out to me, um, either to check on how I was doing, to offer help, but especially for your prayers. Uh, they definitely made a difference. As I said, I'm still struggling with some of the symptoms. I have a nagging cough. I'll try to cough, not cough at you uh, this morning. Um, I also get tired kind of pretty quickly. So it could be interesting this morning on which one of us falls asleep first while I'm preaching. Um, <laughs> But it's the early service, so the chance of me is less. I don't know about you, but uh, we'll get through this. So Psalm 17 is what we'll be talking about this morning. Um, in intro to Psalm 17, um, like the, many of the Psalms, including Psalm 1, Psalm 17, in a very clear way, um, talks about in the end there is really only two ways to live one's life. All right, a corny joke is life without God is like an unsharpened pencil, no point. So that's what we'll, we'll see in 17. Um, there are some similar themes in Psalm 17 and 16, which Mike preached on very well last week. Um, so we'll get some reinforcement of those truths. Um, and while the Psalms are filled with prayers and laments and praises and worship, Psalm 17 is strictly a prayer. Right? It's actually called the Prayer of David. Uh, the context of the Psalm is really not definitive, although the greatest speculation of it is it was written by David when Saul was hunting him down. All right, we know the kingship was, was torn from Saul because of his disobedience. He feared men over God and was given to David. And out of jealousy, Saul was hunting David. And the suspicion is this was written at that time. Um, I, like David, or I, like, I like Spurgeon's reference to David's prayer. He says, it's an appeal to heaven from the persecutions of earth. So let's, let's read Psalm 17. A prayer of David. Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me, and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regards to the works of man, my, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I call upon you, for you will answer me. O God, incline your ear to me, hear my words, wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior of those who, take, who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye, hide me in the shadow of your wings. From the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me, they close their hearts to pity, with their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps, they set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear, as a young lion lurking in ambush. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. 
from men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. You fill their womb with treasure, they are satisfied with children, and they leave their abundance to their infants. As for me, I will behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have preserved your word for us, that today we can be instructed and equipped and increase our knowledge of who you are by being exposed to your word. So, Lord, may your word not come back void today, and may it do the work that you intended to, be, to do when you wrote it. Lord, we pray that you would give me um, clarity in my speech. We pray that you would only let me share that which you want to be heard. We pray for grace for the listener, that they would hear your word clearly, they would penetrate their ears and their hearts, and as Mike prayed, that we would be transformed to be more like Christ, having been exposed to your word and having been here this morning. So bless this time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the outline of this is, I'm, I'm just going to touch real briefly, we could do a five-week series on prayer, but what is prayer? Because we're going to talk about a prayer. Then we're going to talk about David's cry for justice, his trust and hope, his request, his enemies, and his confidence. Okay, so what is prayer? I think every Christian would like to pray more, would like to pray better, would like to know how to best pray. Timothy Keller, in his book called Prayer, says, We can define prayer as a personal communicative response to the knowledge of God. Based on this, it means that prayer is profoundly altered by the amount and accuracy of that knowledge. The more clearly we grasp who God is, the more our prayer is shaped and determined accordingly. Calvin says, While everyone may have a sense of the divine, he observed that we all refashion the sense of deity to fit our own interests and desires unless, through the Spirit and the Scripture, our view of God is corrected and clarified. Jonathan Edwards says that prayer is only the voice of faith. Anyone with real faith will desire to pray because, through the Spirit, prayer is faith become audible. I like that. Faith become audible. Um, the Psalms are a great, uh, they're great to pray through. They're great models of prayer we're going to look at. Right, my uh, son, Nathan, who uh, got a book in his Bible class at Cedarville called Praying the Bible by Donald Whitney. Um, good book. It talks about just what it says, praying the Bible. It talks about praying with an open Bible. Of course, it's the other reason why we want to put God's word in our heart is that we pray God's word um, when we don't have a Bible in front of us. Uh, and the emphasis of the book actually is on reading through and, pray, and praying the Psalms each day. Uh, David's prayer is in context of who God is and who David is before God. So let's get into the psalm. Okay, so it starts out with David's cry for justice. In verse 1, David starts out actually with three attempts to get God's attention. Hear, attend, give ear, right? And he starts out with, hear a just cause, O Lord. David's basis for God to hear him is that he believes he has a just cause. And for David to use this as the basis for God to hear him, he has to believe that God is a just God. If God wasn't a just God, why would he care about a just cause? But God is, and David is is relying on this for a response from God. He has a just cause, he's going to a just God, and if God is just, which he is, he will respond to his cause. Um, We are wired, because we are made in the image of God, to want justice, right? Right? Injustice infuriates us, and it starts as children, 
right? If, whether it's punishment or rewards, we want to see our siblings getting the same as us, right? If they get a bigger piece of cake, you know, or if they get punished less than we did for the same offense, that's not fair, right? I mean, really, they're saying, hey, there's an injustice going on here, but it comes out in, that's not fair, right? And movies, you know, well, actually, before we get to movies, I want to tell you a situation that I came across recently, the last few days, is uh, on justice and just kind of how it came out kind of in a weird way. Um, we feed our birds and uh, throw birds out on the patio, and you can see them out the kitchen window when you're the sink. And I'm watching these birds, you know, feeding, and this dove, which, is, you know, there's plenty of food, but this dove, which is probably, I don't know, four times the size of a sparrow, is pecking at the sparrow, keeping the sparrow from eating, right? You know, if I could have shot, I mean, scared away that dove <laughs> so, that, so that sparrow could eat, I would have done that. that you know, that wasn't fair. It wasn't just for that sparrow. There's plenty of food. Let the sparrow eat, right? And yes, it's a good thing that I'm not in charge of rolling out justice at the bird feeder or there'd be less birds in Avon. <clears throat> so our hunger for justice and fairness is why they make the movies they make, right? They, the movie tries to stir up in us anger over the injustice going on and then the more injustice, the more anger they can stir up in us, the more satisfied we are when justice prevails, right? When justice at the end of the, the movie wins, right? That is, that is in our heart to see justice. One of my favorite movies, which has a lot of violence, questionable spiritual content, but models as well, is Gladiator. I, I, I like Gladiator from the standpoint of there is great injustice going on. There's bribery, there's murder, um, there's cheating, and, and there's... there's there's somebody who's been afflicted, you know, the, uh, the, the gladiator, Russell Crowe Maximus. And it's like, is, he, is, he, is justice going to prevail? And at the very end of the movie, justice prevails, right? So that's, that's what we long for. I'll quickly touch on the movie that's the worst, I think, for, for justice, is, is Avengers Endgame, where, where injustice, uh, you know, wins and half the population of the whole universe is destroyed, and they try to mop it up with some type of time travel, which gets really illogical and doesn't make any sense. And the damage is already done, and it's a bad movie. <laughs> and I know my son right now is cringing because he loves that movie. <laughs> but anyway, our God is a just and righteous God. And injustice brings God's judgment, as it did in the Old Testament. Right? We see in the book of Micah and Amos... There was plenty of injustice going on, and it was why the prophet said judgment is coming. In Micah, injustice of Israel's leaders and even the prophets, there was bribery, there was the bending of justice to favor the wealthy, there was the depriving of the poor of land rights. Um, in Amos, the wealthy ignored the poor, they sold them into debt slavery, and then they denied them legal representation. Um, and, and the warning that Assyria and Babylon were going to come because of this, or that was one of the main reasons. Injustice is an abuse of power, right? Those in power get to decide what justice is for them and for everybody else. Do we, we see that today, right, in our culture. We see that today in our government. We've seen it for the last decade, but we're seeing it recently, where what would put us in jail, they get away with, and sometimes they get rewarded with positions in the government, right? There is injustice right now because in, unjust people are in power, um, but we know God is a just God. In the end, there will be justice. Um, David declares in Psalm 103.6, the Lord works righteously and justice for all who are oppressed. Uh, will God answer a just cause? Jesus answers this in Luke 18. 
This is the parable he gives about a widow who's badgering a judge for justice. She says, give me justice against my adversary. And, and it says that this judge neither fears God or respects man. But because this widow will not leave him alone, he is going to give her justice. And, and God says, uh, or Jesus says in, in Luke 16, it says, yet because this widow keeps bothering him, it says, I will... The, the unjust judge says, I will, give him just, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down continually. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. So a just God will give us justice in the end. The other part of verse 1 is, attend to my cry. So a cry shows intensity and desperation in David's request. Uh, a cry is, of course, the first sound we all make, right? And it's, it's one of the most natural sounds, and it's one we make when we're in greatest despair, right, in times of need. Um, it is also the, uh, has a mighty power. Uh, a child's cry has a mighty power and prevails over a, a parent's heart, right? A parent re- readily knows uh, a child's cry, knows the, the sense of urgency that is needed, knows what type of response is needed or if none at all, and they're just whining. Um, Witnessed this recently at the Tice Wars house when we were at small group. There are kids downstairs, you know, making noise. You heard them in the background and just kind of zoned them out, toned, tuned them out, and uh, uh, proceeded with conversations. And, and, and all of a sudden there was a cry, and Kelly and Jesse right, both jumped up and ran downstairs. And sure enough, it was Ryder, and sure enough, Ryder had hurt himself. And the cry uh, touched their parents' heart and res- made them respond immediately. Uh, like a parent, God knows when our cry is sincere and needs immediate attention. He also knows when our cry is selfish and we just need to cry ourselves out and come to the end of ourselves. Um, <clears throat> and, not, and we're not seeking God's glory and purpose in our crying. Right? And like a parent does, uh, not wait for its child to... Uh, with clarity and elegance and uh, articulate exactly what their need is, right? God doesn't expect that from us either, right? We can cry from the heart. Um, he says we don't, it says in the scripture, we don't even need words and sometimes we don't have words. Uh, allow the scripture to groan. In, in, eight, in Romans 8.26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So there are times we don't have the words, but God knows our heart and what we need. Uh, for David, his life was being threatened. It could be snuffed out at any, any time. Um, prayer is a work of the heart, in, and it's uh, referred to as pouring out of the soul or the heart. In First Samuel one fifteen, it says, But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul. Before the Lord. In the Psalm 62 8, it says, Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. So, in the other, the next part of verse 1, it says, Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. Um, While we know Jesus was really the only one who had lips free of all deceit, 1 Peter 2 22 says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. But for this particular ask, David believes he is coming to God with sincerity and transparency, not an attempt to manipulate God. So he feels he is speaking without deceit. 
Um, verse 2 says, from your presence let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. So while David states he does not come with deceitful lips, his next words are to defer to God for his vindication and for God to do what is right in God's eyes, not in David's eyes. Right? He, he's he's um, putting his request in, under the scrutiny of God, and he's depending on God ultimately to be his defense. So verse 3 to 5 um, talks about how David's been examined and tested. Um, David in the Psalms often refers to um, opening himself up to, God, to the Lord's examination. <clears throat> it's common for David to do so, and we know a familiar verses in Psalm 139, 23 and 24, that says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. So in, in verses 3 to 5, it talks about David being tested and tried, which are words referring to refining metal. It talks about being visited by night, which refers to being examined. David recounts also his effort to stay pure or right with God. David talks about his heart, his mouth, his ways, and his paths. He's purposed his mouth not to transgress, which we know in James, the tongue is a fire and a world of unrighteousness. David says he's purposed to control his mouth. He's avoided the ways of wicked. How has he done this? By the word of God's lips, by God's word. Right? He's, he's kept himself in God's word to avoid the way of the wicked, avoid the violence. And he's held fast to God's path. Right? He's pursued God's ways, and his feet have not slipped because of that. Um, in a commentary, uh, David's claims of lips free of deceit and you will find nothing with me is not a claim of self-righteousness. David is stating his case in which the danger that he's in stems from the malice of the persecutors and not from the wrongdoing of the person in trouble of himself. He is saying he has avoided that which those who are pursuing and threatening him are doing. Um, We cannot expect God to answer us if we are the ones committing sin or with malice in our heart. In James 4.3, it says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. So our hearts and our lips do need to be right when we come before the Lord. So we're next verses 6 and 7 talk about David's trust and hope, um, which is in God's character and in God's promises. Same for us, right? It says, I call upon you, for you will answer me. Uh, David's trust is in God's faithfulness to answer. And he asserts the Lord will answer, or King James Version says, uh, the Lord will hear him. For you will hear me, so answer or hear me. Which what's interesting about this verse, and uh, that Mike shared, and I thought he was going to steal my thunder, was <laughs> was the fact that um, David reveals confidence in God. He doesn't say you will answer me because I cry to you. He says I cry to you because you will answer me. Right? He is crying because he knows God will answer. It's not because he's crying that God will answer. It's God will answer. Therefore, I cry. Right? He God is waiting for us to call upon him. He wants to answer us. In Psalm 4.3, it says, But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. And in Psalm 86.7, it says, the day of trouble, In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. So the Lord is ready to answer. He's waiting for us to cry to him. So in verse 7, it uh, starts out, uh, Wondrously show your steadfast love. Uh, and steadfast love is also... Uh, loving kindness in other versions, it's the hesed, 
Uh, Mike's brought it up several times. I remember the video he showed about the hesed of God, which is loving kindness, goodness, faithfulness, covenant, or loyal love. It's the love God has for us based on who he is, not what we do. Right? God is the God of hesed. Uh, Spurgeon, again, uh, says about God's hesed, steadfast love or loving kindness, he says, we need God to show us his loving kindness and through his spirit help us grasp it to our intellect and remove our ignorance, to our hearts and revive our gratitude, to our faith to renew our confidence, and to our experience to deliver us from all our fears. David believes in and asks God to show his hesed, his loving kindness. He then says, O Savior of those who seek refuge from the adversaries at your right hand. So David's trust is in God's promise. Um, Mike talked about Psalm 16 last week. Taking refuge in the Lord is acknowledging who God is, and then from that knowledge, putting our trust in him and believing he will, he will do what he says he will. And he, he is who he says he is. All right, so we have to know God before we can trust God, or we, the amount we know God is the amount we will trust God. Know him more, and he's a lot easier to trust because we know he's trustworthy. Um, so God was David's Savior because he took refuge. He trusted in the Lord. Um, the title ascribed to God here, Savior, is Yahshua, and it's to save, be saved, be delivered. So we certainly could draw a parallel here with Christ, right? Who is our, our adversary? Satan, right? When we take refuge in Christ, we trust him to be our Savior. We now have complete protection and deliverance from Satan and from death. And, and he refers to at your right hand, in God's strength and provision, will God be protected from his adversaries? So verse 8 and 13 are David's request. Uh, Keep me in the app, as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Verse 13, arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. So David doesn't say, Make me the apple of your eye. He says, keep me as the apple of your eye. The apple of, of your eye is actually the, the pupil in your eye. It's, it's a, obviously very precious, very sensitive. Um, it's, it needs protection. Um, but to be the apple of the eye is to be close, right? To be favored, to be protected. And David says, keep me. David was already favored by God. David was already um, promised to be king. We are favored by God, right? So it's keep me as which we know we are kept through Christ. But David says, keep me as the apple of your eye. He is seeking God's continued protection, saying, hide me. He acknowledges that God must be his protection. And it's up to God to do so, right? It's dependent upon God, his his protection is. Um, We can pray the same prayer with confidence because we know it is Jesus' heart. Because we know this similar theme was, was mentioned in Matthew 23, 37. Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. So this idea of close, of protection of the Lord, Jesus said, this is what I want to do for you, and this is what he does do for his children. In verse 3, the arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him. David's asking and trusting God to intervene for him in his place. Right? He is depending on God for his defense, which we must do the same. I'm reminded of uh, some, uh, an excerpt from the book. Uh, actually, Jesse shared with it uh, 
quite a while ago, but it stuck with me, and I have the book. It's, it's the book by E.W. Tozer, The Pursuit of God, and it says, whoever defends himself will have, will have himself for his defense, and he, he will have no other. But let him come defenseless before the Lord, and he will have for his defender no less than God himself. Uh, we do know that God answered David's prayer because David was king for 40 years. So verses 9 through 12 and 14 talk about David's enemies, which uh, the character traits of his enemies are the same as the enemies of God and his people today. Uh, they will resonate uh, as we go over these. So the verses explain the ways of David's enemies. He talks about the wicked. Uh, being wicked is unjust in cause and action. It's guilty in the sight of God. It's people who, are, who do things against God. Uh, it's a person who is living in sin, transgresses the divine law. It's all who are unreconciled to God. Um, the other thing it says about them is they are against the godly. They desire to do violence. Um, they have uncaring hearts. They close their hearts to pity or compassion. Uh, they speak arrogantly. They dare to say anything against God, against God's people, and against the ways and things of God. Uh, they seek to attack and silence the word of God. You see that going on today. Uh, they seek to destroy the godly. Here, David doesn't know uh, where the threat is going to come. Right? He says they're, they're going to attack, they're going to ambush him. Um, the enemy is looking to surprise him and, and destroy him. Um, there are attacks on God's people today, of course, and on his word uh, daily. Right? And we need to pray for protection there for our brothers and sisters in Christ who have their lives in danger and for God's word to continue to go out. Um, we shouldn't be surprised at this. Right In John fifteen twenty, it says, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute, also persecute you. So the other thing about the enemy that states in verse 14 is that their portion is in this life. The world is all they'll get and the best of what they'll get. And it is temporary. Then the judgment day will come. And we know that the judgment comes, then they will they, they will have justice uh, for how they acted against God and for themselves. Uh, we know this, the, uh, the verses in Luke 16 about the rich man that had everything, that had abundance, had more than he could you know, use and eat, um, but yet there's Lazarus at his gate who was starving, who would, dogs licked his sores, who just was destitute. And this rich man had no, no thought, no compassion on Lazarus, had all the means of helping Lazarus but did not, had no compassion in his heart, right? And, and we see they both die, and the, Lazarus ends up in Abraham's bosom, and this rich man ends up in hell. And there's a chasm between it, and there, this, this rich man is saying, hey, give me a drop of water, I'm in anguish. And Abraham says in Luke 16, 25, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. We see in 1 John two fifteen to 17, the reminder, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God will abide forever. <clears throat> so verse Verse 15, so the last verse, David's confidence and ours. David's focus and confidence is on the righteousness that comes 
from living before God in this life and the expectation of his complete satisfaction in the Lord after his death. So it starts out, as for me. So David is, once again, disassociating himself with the, those of the world, the wicked, right? As for me, from those whose portion is in this life and the world, it says, I shall behold your face in righteousness. David's desire and pursuit is for righteousness, not the world. So while he's in the world, he's not pursuing the world. He's pursuing God and God's righteousness. We know in Matthew 6, or 5, 6, in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Other verses or other uh, interpretations, um, translations, say they shall be filled. And a, a commentary says Jesus promised to fill the hungry, to fill them with as much as they could eat. It's a strange filling that both satisfies us and keeps us longing for more. There are, there are two uh, justices. This says, uh, no, uh, it says that hunger and thirst for righteous, I'm sorry, righteousness. There are two types of righteousness. There's the justifying righteousness and there's the sanctifying righteousness. Right? The justifying righteousness is when we believe in Christ and, and, and repent and submit our lives to Christ, we are clothed with the complete and pure righteousness of Christ. When God sees us, he sees Christ. He sees Christ's purity, Christ's righteousness. We are fully accepted and there's nothing we can do to increase the acceptance of God. Sanctifying righteousness is what we practice, right? Do we live righteously? Right? And we should be increasing as we are sanctified in how we live. And how do we increase our righteousness in how, in, in how we live? Well, we gain righteousness by we work really hard and we put all that we have into it and our blood, sweat, and tears are going to get us that righteousness that we want. Okay, <laughs> so if you're still awake, you should be screaming at me, no, that's not the case. Uh, we did not make ourselves righteous and acceptable to God uh, to be justified. We don't make ourselves more righteous in our thoughts and our motives and our actions by our own effort, right? It, too, comes from the same source. It comes from God, and it comes through the Spirit by his grace. And it comes by beholding God, right? As we behold God, we become more like God. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So as we behold God's glory, which is spending time in, with him in his scriptures and his prayer, we become more like him. Right? And of course, the glory and the righteousness um, that we are obtaining is his, right? We are simply becoming a better reflection of God, which we are becoming more Christ-like, who was the perfect reflection of God in Hebrew 1.3. He, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. All right, so as we become, become more like Christ, we reflect Christ more, and we are reflecting the righteousness and glory of God. So the end of the, the, the chapter in verse uh, 15b, it says, When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. So when I awake, uh, John Howe says, How apt and obvious is the analogy between our awakening out of natural sleep and the holy soul's rising out of the darkness of its present state into the light of God's presence. Right? As we see here and as we see elsewhere in the Old Testament, resurrection was not a new concept in the New Testament. It was in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 26, 19, it says, Your dead shall live, your body shall rise. You will dwell in the dust. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. 
In Daniel 12.2, it says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And David says, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. David is saying, unlike his enemies that seek to be satisfied with the world or in the world, David is saying he will only be satisfied when he is in his presence, when he awakes and sees God's likeness, when he sees Christ. When we awake, we will be satisfied fully. Right? It says in 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. The more we see him, the more we become like him. We won't see him fully until we're in his presence, and then we will be made like him. 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve says, And for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall fully then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So our focus uh, needs to be off this world and on God, right? Sometimes our focus is too much on this world. Um, we may believe we are saved from this world, but we lack the full confidence, excitement, and expectation of leaving this world and awakening in the Father's kingdom. The solution here, of course, is to know God more. Uh, and we'll gain the enjoyment of both living in this life for him and we'll better, gain a better understanding and anticipation of being with him in the next. Okay, so last comment, we'll get into application. Um, I want to make is, as this verse shows, um, biblical faith is forward-looking. Right? Our faith is based on the truth and fulfillment of past promises and the trust in God's promises for both the present and the future. Um, two quick examples um, about this in terms of we should have forward-looking faith. One is Christmas is the advent of Christ, right? It is the celebration of remembrance of Christ coming to earth, which is, of course, significant, and it's a promise fulfilled. But it's also referring to our hope in the second advent of Christ's return. Um, also, with the Lord's Supper, which uh, is, is interesting. We, we don't usually speak of the verse after those that talk about why we, we share in the Lord's Supper. Um, we do it to remember Christ for what he's done, what he is doing, and what he is going to do. We're, we are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. Um, but the Lord's Supper also is forward-looking when we awake. Right? The verses in Matthew uh, 16 or 26 um, talks about, it, it says, and, and uh, he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and saying, drink it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for you for many for the forgiveness of sins. So that is true. But the next verse says, I tell you all not drink again of this fruit of the vine until this day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. All right, so when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, let's celebrate what's been accomplished on the cross. Let's also look forward to sharing the Lord's Supper in the Father's kingdom. Okay, application. How can David's prayer help us to pray? First, we need to pray with urgency and intensity. We need to pour out our heart to God as we let God examine our heart to make sure we're pouring it out sincerely and with transparency. We need to appeal to God based on his character and his promises. Right? And we can only do this by knowing him more. We need to know who he is, and we, know we need to know his promises so we can claim them. 
And as we pray sincerely and according to his character, his promises, and his will, we can be confident he will answer. Um, At the end of Micah, actually, after the coming judgment was prophesied, there were two reasons for future hope after the judgment. Uh, It was God's character and God's promise. At the end of Micah, chapter 7 and 718, it says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in his said. He delights in his steadfast love. And for his character in Micah 7.20, it says, You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. So praying the character and the promises of God. Also, we should expect opposition, oppression, and persecution from the, from the ungodly who often rule. Those who are against the things of God and the people of God. And we must not envy them, especially when they prosper, for their portion is only in this life. We need to let God be our defense. Right? When we feel surrounded by enemies, when we're attacked, we need to run to God in prayer. He is our refuge. He is our defense. And we need to keep our eyes on Christ and on Christ's return. Uh, we will grow in righteousness now and be fully righteous when we see him as we spend time and as we focus on him. Uh, I like the verse in, in a song Dane often selects. It says, the things of earth shall grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The more we spend time with him, the more we see his glory, the more joy we'll have and the less this world will even mean. And lastly, uh, let's show the love of Christ both to each other and to the world as a testimony of our faith and an invitation to the world and even our enemies to believe. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we again thank you for your word that equips and instructs us and allows us to better know you. We thank you for the reminder, Lord, that it is in knowing you that we can trust you and take refuge in you. It's in knowing you that we can trust you more and live confidently in your grace. And we can also, Lord, live righteously and live in a way that you have called us to live, to be witnesses for you, to love one another, to show the world that we are Christians by our love for one another. So help us to do that through the knowledge and through your spirit of your word. Thank you for this time together, Lord. May we leave here uh, remembering what you want us to, And may it change the way we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.